0: You're listening to audio from the town center campus of CA church located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Guys, I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to the gospel of Mark. If you've been with us for a while, you're not surprised that I'm asking you to turn to the gospel of Mark. We've been walking through this gospel since September. And uh, we are, we're landing the plane over this next month. We are about to, uh, yeah, we're going to get you to the end by the first or second week of July. And it has been an ex- exciting adventure to walk through the Gospel of Mark. And for those of you who haven't been with us the whole time, the Gospel of Mark, written by uh, an, ear- an early follower of, of the way, of Christ, um, most likely from the, the witness- witnessing accounts of Peter, who is pretty upfront, apparently, because he doesn't get represented super well throughout the gospel. He makes a handful of mistakes, and that's, that's all included there. That's what I love about the gospels. That's what I love about scripture is that we can all find ourselves uh, associating with those people because <laughs> they're very much like you and I. Uh, but the gospel of Mark, is, it's really a challenge in a lot of ways that to follow Jesus is not easy. And so when Mark writes this and gives it to early Christians who would, who would then pass it throughout the churches to read, he would be challenging them. You know, the teachings of Jesus are difficult. To follow Jesus is difficult. And it does not mean clowns and balloons. It actually means suffering. That's the way of Christ. That's the way of the Lamb. And the way that our salvation, and many of you have heard me say this many times, the way that our salvation was purchased is also the way that our salvation is to be lived out. We are supposed to be selfless. We are supposed to be those who give up our rights. Because we know the whole story. And so we live in confidence of that whole story. The very story that we just proclaimed in that last song. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the resurrection of the body. That the kingdom is going to come. These are the things we believe. And so we can live through the suffering. As, as uh, Paul writes in Philippians 2, Jesus went forward to the cross. He knew what was coming. He went forward to the cross. He suffered through the cross and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And that is the way, that is the, the path that Jesus has punched through for everyone who wants to follow him. But it's the same path. We don't get to skip parts. Wouldn't it be great if we could skip parts? I would love to skip some of the parts. <laughs> Well, that's the story we've been walking through, and and we've seen it through so many uh, different episodes throughout the Scripture. But right now, as we're heading into uh, chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at uh, verse 12, starting in a moment. But Jesus and his friends, they've been kind of in and out of Jerusalem, and Jesus has really been kind of stirring the pot and literally flipping tables But they're heading there at the most important, biggest celebration of the year. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. And those two things are connected. Celebrated every year by devout Jews. It was the busiest time in Jerusalem. A massive celebration that the, the, the Jews would have every year to commemorate, to remember, to celebrate their emancipation from slavery in Egypt centuries earlier. And when the Israelites were in captivity and slavery to the Egyptians, God spoke through his servant Moses. Moses went before Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. Yahweh, the God of all gods, the God above all every Egyptian god you can think of, the God of the Nile, Ra, the sun god. Pharaoh didn't like that because he was considered kind of one with Ra or the son of Ra, the God of the sun. And so when Moses pushed up, being the mouthpiece of God, Pharaoh resisted at every, every corner, every turn, every threat that God gave. Plague after plague after plague. And Pharaoh would not listen. Moses would come again. Okay, <laughs> this happened, this happened, this happened. You don't, didn't seem to like fleas. You don't like bloody water. Okay, let my people go. And each time Pharaoh would get a little, little tighter. <laughs> His pride would get a little higher. And he would say no. So Pharaoh was not without warning. Until finally, the final threat, God's final threat Was given before Pharaoh that if you do not let my people go, the firstborn of every house in Egypt will die. That the angel of death will pass over and will take the lives of the firstborn of every home. And like a typical dictator that Pharaoh was, in spite of the damage that would be done to all his people, he said, I will not. I will not back down. Do your worst. And this brought judgment. Now, what's interesting about this final plague was that the Israelites were not exempt. The Jews were not exempt. They also would lose a firstborn unless they trusted and obeyed God. And so they were required to place blood. And many of you know this story. On the night of Passover, they were to slaughter a lamb, and they were to place its blood on the doorposts so that it would be up and down the doorposts. It was a way of saying, my life belongs to God, and without him, I'm like this lamb. Without him sustaining, without him bringing freedom, I might, and just, by the way, that's where they were headed without God's deliverance. Their deliverance, their, their future was like that lamb. They were treated like dirt, like nothing. And so they were to find the, a perfect lamb, they were to slaughter it, they were to wipe its blood on the doorpost. And when the, the angel of death passed over and saw that they were obedient to God's commands, the angel would pass over and they would be free. So before we get to the Mark passage, I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 to 28, and it will be up behind me. So this is after Moses has given God's demands to Pharaoh. He says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go at once, select the animals for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop was like a, a kind of plant that when it was dried out, it could act kind of like a sponge. And dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top of the, and the sides of the door frames and will pass over the doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, this is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. And the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Now that's gross. I mean, let's call call it. That is gross and and savage. And that's the point of the event. That without God, this is where sin leads. You want a visual of what sin is? It is life-taking. It is blood-spilling. This is where sin leads without God's intervention. So the Passover lamb tells us where sin leads. After, after all this, the angel of death did come, did pass over. And those who placed their, 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 their trust in the, the blood of these Passover lambs were saved. And those who did not trust God's word were not saved. And as I said, it was not abrupt. It was not without warning. It was not done without proof that God was present. God really took his time before he got to this one. He made them really uncomfortable for not listening, and it got progressively worse. So that's the background for today's text. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 26. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he he sent two of his disciples telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where's my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparation for us there. The disciples left and went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. I I would never betray you, Jesus. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Now, they probably would have all dipped in there. So he's saying, It's one of you. Who's doing this with me right now? It's true. It's going to happen. They will. the um, The Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man! It would be better for him if he had not been born. Woe to the man who does not trust. Woe to the man who does not obey and follow Me. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and we given it th- thanks for it. He broke it. It would have been unleavened bread. The reason for the unleavened bread is they were in a rush, no time to wait. And he took the bread and he tore it. He said, take, this is my body. And they ate it. And then he took the cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink this cup. Drink from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then, just like we good Alliance Church people do, they sung a hymn. And they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus, I pray you would speak to us. Today, and it can be very easy to step into a gathering like this and uh, feel good, feel a little kind of pumped up by a, an encouraging story. Uh, it can be good to spend time in community like this, which we must do, which is important for our walk. But I pray that as we 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 look at this extremely important event and what it represents, you would fill us with your Spirit, you would enliven us, you would excite us. Uh, about the story that we are living today, this week, our lives, until you return. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You can take a seat. My son's birthday was this week. He turned 19. Yes, wow, he is a beast. He's a big dude. And it was great to to converse with him and, and see how he's doing but we couldn't have a meal with him because he's in England. So we looked at him and kind of had a glitch. There were a few frozen moments. <laughs> I think he might have faked one at one point because he's that kind of guy. <laughs> and so we spoke to him on our, on our glitchy computer and we told him we loved him and we, we can't wait till he's home. We can't wait until we're with him, but this we'll have to do for now. It's a small version of a bigger event that's going to happen in the future. And you know what, throughout his time away, we every once in a few days, we're like, can you believe how long he's, he's been there? I, I, can you believe how much time, it like, kind of get to the halfway point, it's been halfway now. And then we get over that halfway and you're like, can you believe, like we're going to see him pretty soon. We're going to spend a day in London with him. We're going to be able to travel with him a little bit. We're going to see him face-to-face, and it won't be over screen. It'll be a full embrace of our son, and we'll hear more of his bad jokes, and we'll hear all these. these, But we look forward to seeing each other. This will do, but I can't wait until we see each other again. That's what the Passover is for the people of Israel. That's what communion is for you and I. This will do. This will hold, I, I need this to hold on to until everything comes to fruition and concludes just as God promised it would be. Passover is a reminder of, of who Israel is, who their God is and how he's, he's worked on their behalf in the past and he's, he's working for their future. The Passover and the exodus that followed it, the, the mass exit of Israel from slavery in Egypt was the single most defining moment in the history of Israel. It's where Israel would say they were birthed. It's where they were created. It's where they became, they had an identity as the children of the living God. So at Passover, as I mentioned, there was bread, but it would have been bread more like this, not the nice big chunk stuff that we often have, not egg bread, not a big sourdough or a nice French French bread, it would have been unleavened bread, which they were commanded to make. It was a reminder that God was going to be swift and he was going to move quickly, so be ready to move when he says move. There was a cup of wine, and as they, they would drink the wine at Passover and they would lift it four times, they, they would remember the, the, the wonderful things that God had done for them. It was a reminder as they drank and, and kind of gave a toast to God. That's a really light way of saying it. But remembering and drinking to the goodness of God, it was, it was, it was a reminder of the great promises of God, promises that we find in Exodus 6, 6 to 7. These are what are repeated even today at a Jewish Seder. Do we have that up there? Exodus 6? No, let me read it. All right, it's all right. Right <laughs> Right on. So in Exodus 6 is therefore say to the Israelites I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment I will take you as my own people That's where they find their identity I'll be your God and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians So during Passover, the the leader, the presider over the meal would, would stand up and at four different times he would stand up and he would hold up the cup and he would remind the people of God of these promises that we find here. The promise of rescue from Egypt, God's promise to bring them out. Promise of freedom from slavery, that he would deliver them, not just at one event, but forever they would be free, that he would redeem them, he would be their redeemer, that they would have an ongoing relationship with God, that he would take care of them. So, as the Israelites year after year would remember the Exodus, and the command is always to teach their children this ongoing story, through the Passover, it helped sustain their community. by by prompting them to remember their common history, to remember their God, to remember the foundation of who they are as a people, their common beliefs. Well, Jesus was presiding over this Passover. And so Jesus would have been the one to take the cup. He would have been the one to explain the different aspects of the meal that were helping them remember the original Passover. But when it comes to the bread... The presider would normally point to the bread and he would say, this is the bread of our affliction. This is the bread of slavery. Remember slavery? Which your fathers ate this this bread of affliction in the desert. It was a way of remembering what they had gone through in the past before God's deliverance. So imagine their surprise when Jesus takes his cup and he toasts the bread and he says, this bread is my body. If anyone was texting at that time or scrolling, their eyes went up. This is different. He's doing something different. Why? Why is this no longer the bread of your affliction? Because it's my affliction. I'm going to take the suffering. I'm going to take the pain. These, These symbols that were once associated with your slavery and your suffering are going to fall on me. I'm the new Passover lamb. Tim Keller says it it this way. He says, just as the lamb, I'm going to start before I even see it. Just as the first Passover was observed the night before God redeemed the Israelites from slavery through the blood of the lambs, this Passover meal was eaten the night before God redeemed the world from sin and death through the blood of Jesus. So the Passover lamb tells us where sin leads, but the lamb of God tells us where God's love leads. Redemption, safety, belonging, a new identity. Now, here's what's rather strange about the gospel account of the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his friends. And, and some of you are familiar. I mean, I just read it. Jesus is doing a Passover meal. Is there anything that seems to be missing? A lamb. All of the gospel accounts, there's no mention of a lamb. Even Paul's recollection in 1 Corinthians 11, there's no mention of a lamb at the table. Every year, the lamb was the center of the meal, but none of the Gospels mention it as part of this meal. As Keller says, there was no lamb on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. Jesus is the main focus and the main course. Jesus is the lamb, the new, better lamb. Whenever the Passover was about to take place throughout the history of Israel, the the Father would go out and he would find the best lamb that they could find. As we read earlier, it's supposed to be without blemish. In this case, God the Father has chosen the lamb without blemish. John the Baptist recognized in Jesus' ministry Early in Jesus' ministry, in John 1.29, he said, he looks at Jesus, and he's he's, he's got all the people around him, all the people getting baptized. He's pronouncing a new kingdom, and then Jesus shows up, and he points at him, and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I don't even know if John understood what he was saying at that point. Looking at his own cousin, biologically related, (laughs) and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I don't know whether he lamented while he said it, or whether he knew exactly what he was saying at the time. In Isaiah, it's alluded to when the prophet prophesies in Isaiah fifty-three six to seven. He says, "We all like sheep have gone astray; each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all." That is that is sacrificial lamb language. He's laid the iniquity on. Him. That's what the priests used to do. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus is saying at this meal, I am the lamb that Isaiah spoke about. I am the lamb of God. I'm I'm." Fulfilling what John said. I am proving what John said to be true. I'm the Lamb of God to which all other sacrifices, all other lambs pointed, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. All other hopes are pointing at what only only I can bring you. The celebration feast gives us a visual of what God's intervention delivers. And every year when the Israelites, when the Jews would, would, would eat the meal together, they would remember God's deliverance and they would look forward to a Messiah. That's a massive part of this meal. God's not done with us yet. And this leads to community because we're all, they were all in that. They, were all, they all had the same hope. They all had the same visual of, of God's intervention. It, they understood who they were and they understand who, understood who God were as they was as they had this meal together. And as they would sit and they would eat the meal much like when I would look at my son on on a screen, they would think, we can't wait till this is all fulfilled. Can't wait till we get to embrace our God. Can't wait till till everything that's promised in this meal is made a reality. You and I look to Jesus. We look to our, our Savior God. Jesus is also our brother. And we can't not wait to eat and drink and embrace him. We need to catch that. the very God, the God to whom we answer to, the one that you and I ultimately offend with our sin, the one who who you and I owe an account to for our lives, all those sound really scary, except that Scripture tells us they don't need to be scary. Why? Because there's a Passover lamb. There's deliverance. The lamb of God tells us where God's love leads, and it's a welcoming love. There's deliverance physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And that's what Passover, that's what communion tells us. That that day is coming because of the perfect Lamb of God. And who is that day coming for? Who gets gets to live to see Jesus face to face? Is, is Is it only those who never doubt? I hope not. Only for those who don't doubt. For the super spiritual, someday they'll get to see Jesus. Those who, who associate themselves with Jesus. Paul writes, and, and the Apostle Paul writes, and some of us really need to hear this because we're, we're still walking around like we're in Egypt. Some of us need to hear this when we walk before a holy God, when we sing songs of worship, because many of us sing them and we, in our hearts we're saying, that's not for me. Not even that you reject it, but because I'm sure that when God comes to me, as one scholar says, he comes holding his nose. God does not come holding his nose. He comes running with his arms open. Romans 8, 1 to 3. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all you Greek scholars, you know that no in the Greek means no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death, meaning the conviction and the judgment that comes from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, you can't just correct your life by trying to live proper moral uh, life and get your ethics straight. Something deeper has to happen. That's what has happened through Christ, God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. It's almost like Jesus came in as a spy. He came in in the likeness of sin, of the flesh, so that he could destroy sin in the flesh. It is for everyday people who are sick of living like slaves to this world, to, to its lies, to its promises, and who are tired of trying and trying and trying to be good. There is nothing that will starve us of the life that Jesus wants to give us than trying to live a moral life and basing our faith over how good we did today. That will suck the life right out of you. And that is not what Jesus came to bring with his life, death, and resurrection. It's not what he's proclaiming when he proclaims a new covenant. Scholar D.A. Carson tells a a great story. I I may have shared it here, but it would have been quite a few years ago. tells a story about the night of Passover, the first night of Passover. And there's two Jews who've just finished slaughtering the lamb and painting the blood on their doorposts, eating the meal, having the unleavened bread. And one Jew says to the other, Smith says to Brown, very Jewish names, Smith says to Brown, goes, do you, do you buy this? Do you really think this is going to work? And the other guy goes, what are you talking about? Did you do what Moses said? Did you do what Yahweh said? You, you, you slaughtered the lamb, you, you painted the post, you put the blood up and up and down, and, and you ate the, the lamb together, and now we wait. Did you do all that? Yeah, yeah, I, I did that. Well, then what's the problem? Yeah, but it's been pretty crazy here lately. <laughs> Think of, all, think of the power that Pharaoh's been showing. I'm, I'm itching myself all the time. I'm just thinking about him. I'm scratching myself all the time. You know how that is tonight. And Brown says, bring it on. You know those kind of Christians. D.A. Carson asked this question. Which one was saved from the angel of death that night? Both of them. Both of them. Our salvation in Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is not based on how you feel in your heart today. Because death does not pass over them, on the Passover, based on the intensity or the clarity of the faith that they exercise, but on the grounds of the blood of the Lamb. Your salvation, your permanence, the declaration that you are part of a much larger story than your ups and downs of every day, than COVID, than political upheavals, the declaration of that, the, the, the foundation and the truth and the clarity of that, the definitive event is the blood of the lamb. And so it doesn't matter if you had a bad week. So we never have to come before Jesus and say, oh, oh I and try to come up with some excuses. I, you know, it was just a hard week. I did, I did this, and I know I, know I yelled. And I, no, we don't have to do that. As one hymn says, I need no other argument. I, I, I need no other plea. It is enough. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That's it. That's our story. Everything else is a treadmill with no off switch. Everything else is trying to prove your spirituality. Everything else is trying to prove your morality. From our deep love for Christ, from our deep love for the Lamb who gave up everything for us, do we we try to live out that kingdom animated by His Spirit? Of course we do. But our faith does not live or die on how good our week was. Praise God. That is our story. That is where our confidence is found. And communion tells us over and over where our story leads. Communion tells us where where we've been, it tells us where we're going, and it tells us where we are. It gives us a compass to know what story we're in. The table tells us where we are in God's story and where it leads. The gospel story is all caught up in the drama of communion. So much like catechism, we could ask the questions. Why? And this is this would be very common during Passover. What would happen is they're trying to teach the kids. There would be a lot of questions and, and answers. Why do we eat this? Why do we paint the doors? Why do we do? It? And it's like to remind us of what we went through. To remind us of slavery. Why do we eat bitter herbs? Why well, we eat bitter herbs because it reminds us of the torment. All sorts of things are going like that during Passover. Right? Well, we could do some of those. Why do we eat the bread? Because we were once lost in our sin and God provided the perfect lamb for our salvation and deliverance. Why do we drink the cup? Because our debt was high and and the debt was insurmountable, but Jesus paid the price through his blood on the cross. That is the declaration that defines our lives. And we eat to it and we drink to it and we celebrate it every time we have communion. One of the stipulations... Of, of Passover and the Passover lamb, and you, you might recall it in verse, in verse 5 is that the lamb was to be without defect. It was meant to, to represent something bigger than itself. It was a, a symbol of the, the innocent being given for the convict, convicted. So they would find the best one they could. Maybe if there was like a little, little dark on it, they try to get out, I don't know. They try to make the lamb look perfect. But the other important command by God was that, it was that there was enough for everyone to eat. That if you had, you had more than you needed, that you bring other people in. If your neighbor doesn't have enough, then you make some for them. And you guys all eat together. All of you are a part of this story. In Exodus 12, 4, it says, If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. It's not just talking about your own household. That's talking about the nation of Israel. There was to be a sufficient amount for everyone. Everyone was supposed to take part, and everyone was welcome to take part. I want to say that as we come to the table today, as we eat this meal that Jesus declared as, as a new covenant, a new story for us to live in. Jesus is more than you need. He's more than enough for whatever slavery you're in, for whatever darkness you're walking through. He is the answer to the deepest hunger, he, he, the, the, the deepest sin, and the deepest hurt. He is the answer to the slavery you are in. And so the blood that once stained the wood of the doorframe for the salvation of Israel has been replaced by the blood that stained the wood of the cross for the salvation of all who will come. Not the perfect, not those who had a good day, not those who everyone else looks to and admires, but those who place their trust in the finished work of the Lamb. And communion plays this out and reminds us. But I'll tell you, you can have a meal placed before you. It means nothing unless you eat it. (laughs) Jesus can come and offer you salvation from Egypt. He can can offer you salvation from slavery, from the burden that you're in. But unless we decide we're going to feast on that, Remains outside of us and, unwork- and, and not working. It just becomes some nice fable, some nice story out there that we reflect on. But the meal that Jesus prepares for you is for all. But it must go eaten. It must go eaten. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is of no benefit unless we say we will find our life in it. We will find our identity in it, our hope in it, our past, our present, and our future. That's the gospel. So I don't know how you come here this morning. (laughs) Some of you, maybe you you haven't stepped foot in a church for years. Maybe it's the first time you're stepping into a church. For those, and for many others here who I know and love, we've been coming to church for, how old am I, 51? I've been coming to church for 52 years. (laughs) But many of us can can come to communion. We can come to church week after week, and we don't allow the truth of the gospel to fill us and animate us in a way that the world would look at us and go, how come this person isn't yelling on Facebook? How come this person, when someone attacks them, they say, forgive them, Father, because they know not what they're doing. Who lives that kind of life? Who lives with a smile on their face when so much turmoil is going on? Someone who's Place their life and trust in the blood of the Lamb. That's who. Someone who knows they've been purchased. Someone who knows they have an identity that cannot be touched. Why do we know it can't be touched? Because death once tried to kill our identity in the grave. See, because we're one with Christ. And he burst out of the grave. And where Jesus is, because as I've said before, Scripture does not use the word Christian very often. Its greatest description of someone who is a Christian is to say they are in Christ. That means wherever Christ is, you are. So as, as God the Father looks at Jesus, if you have said, I am, I'm aligning my life with Jesus, God looks at you and he sees the purity, the righteousness, the perfection of his own son. I'll take it. Because <laughs> I'm not going to get there running the treadmills that I'll try to create my own identity to be a perfectly moral person. So I want to look at the lamb, the perfect lamb of God, and go, I know I've had some doubts this week. I know I've made some mistakes. I haven't always treated my wife or my kids the way I ought to. And I'm going to ask them for forgiveness. I'm not negating that. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to to mend things, but I'm not going to say my faith is nothing because I've dropped it. No, no, no. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It's enough that he died and that he died for me. Guys, if you could leave here with that truth, if you could leave here with that draped over you as you leave here, it will be such a protection from all the anger and the anxiety of this world. It'll give you so much life, so much abundance. Well, the chaos of the world is trying, just like the, the weeds and the seeds, trying to strangle life out of us. That's the community that Jesus died to create. One that walks out into the world and you know what? It doesn't matter how much darkness there is. It does not matter how much darkness there is. One candle, well, it can't put out one candle. It can't put out one small light. We can be that light in our community. We can be that light as a church. We can be that light in our workplace, in our family living rooms, at Starbucks, when someone's losing it because their coffee is a minute late. We can be that light in those situations. We bring peace. So we're going to take communion right now. I'm going to invite Josh to come up. Now, for those of you who are anxious, we're not... I've already put my hands all over it. I sneezed on it a few times. Had it in my car for a month. We're not using this. So don't worry. I will say that in a month from now, the next time we do communion, we will be having br- actual bread. It won't be one that we're all ripping and dipping, but we are going to have cut pieces. And if you're comfortable coming up to take them, you can take them. We will have separate cups, and you can take them and take and eat. And we will still provide these wonderful things for those of you who would like to use these. I'm going to ask we get ahead of the game as we do each week, because these make a lot of noise. If you haven't used these before, there's a thin film on the top that comes off that uncovers the bread-like substance. <laughs> we having a hard time? All right, you, you help them out. You have a helper there. And uh, if, you, if you didn't receive one on the way in, just put your hands up, and uh, we'll, we'll hook you up. But I think it looks like most of us have one. Matt needs one down here. Done? Yeah, here, Doug, thanks. Guys, as we take communion, I want to remind you as the Israelites found their identity in God, in Yahweh. as they found hope even in the middle of very deep difficulty in exile and persecution we find our story when we take the bread and we take the cup we're reminded of the words of Jesus who he said this is this is something new i'm giving you <laughs> affliction no, long, no longer needs to be yours because it was put on my shoulders so don't walk with that affliction anymore the bread reminds us that jesus gave his life freely so that we would no longer have to live with the burden of affliction and the burden of law on our lives. When we eat this, we were reminded of the release from that. So Jesus, we eat this bread reminded of what you bought us through your body, and we eat it in thanksgiving this morning. Amen. Let's sing together. And as we walked through after the meal, technically it was the the third or fourth cup of the the Seder meal, Jesus took the cup. And rather than following the script, he continued in his new story, saying, this blood represents a new covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you do this in remembrance of me, Remembrance of me. And, and the part that I love the most that tells us we're still in a continuing story is that I'm not going to drink this again, Jesus says, until my kingdom comes. And as it says in 1 Corinthians 11, until we do this face to face, until I come again. So it won't be through a screen, won't be on a glitchy face, FaceTime call. It'll be a, the, the day where we feel the full embrace of our righteous, holy. King, come to reign forever. Let's drink together. And so God, I pray that we would steer clear of empty ritual. That we would steer clear of religious practice that as we do, uh, as we remember you through the bread and the cup this morning, that this would anchor us into your story. So firmly that when the the winds of anxiety, the winds of worry, when the, the cares are sweeping so strongly, we would be so firmly founded in this story that people would be blown away by the peace that your spirit gives us. And God, I pray that as your, your love and your new identity fills us, that that would explode out of us so that we know how to love and, and show redemption and forgiveness and mercy and grace to people around us. That is what you have called us to do. So I pray that as we've taken this communion, that we would welcome others into community. Whether it be in this church, whether it be in our workplace, whether it be at, in, in, our, in our living rooms, the places where that have been known to be places of, of death and, and a lack of life. <laughs> I pray that you would allow us to be ambassadors of your life. Thank you for the beautiful story you've, you've welcomed us into. Jesus, thank you that for the joy that you saw before you, you endured the cross, you took on its shame so that we would not have to. What love is this? <laughs> May it animate us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.